Well, happy Easter, y'all. I want to uh, start out by reading from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, starting with verse 1. It says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. When they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and then on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. So today I'm concluding this series that I entitled Help My Unbelief, which was really born out of a series of conversations that I have had recently with friends of mine, people who I love and respect who believe differently than I do. And you've seen some of the interviews with people who are atheists, people who are agnostic, uh, people who just have a a lot of doubt. And when you're faced with uh, a different set of beliefs than what you believe, it forces you to think through your own. You know, I mean, you kind of wonder, what is the substance of my own faith? And so in this series, what I've been trying to do is to lay out a framework of the main tenets of Christianity that set it apart from other world religions and worldviews. And today is the final belief that I think makes the Christian faith more unique from any other belief system in the world. And without it, The Christian faith, I think, would be absolutely meaningless. There would really be no point to doing what we're doing here this morning. As crazy as it sounds, the entire Christian faith hinges on just three words. Jesus is risen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So there was this uh, TV show that I used to watch where one of the main uh, characters of the show happened to be a Christian, and she has an argument with her Jewish husband over how they're going to celebrate the holidays. And it really turns out to be an argument about the difference in their beliefs, but they've been kind of veiling it, you know, and have never really had the conversation in their lives. But anyway, she kind of gets frustrated with him, and she says, so why do you even bother with Hanukkah anyway? Do you really believe that a handful of Jews held off an entire army by using a bunch of lamps that somehow miraculously wouldn't run out of oil? She said, how absurd is that? To which her husband just exploded and said, oh, and I suppose that Christmas makes more sense? Do you really believe an angel appeared to some teenage girl who then got pregnant without ever having sex? traveled by donkey to Bethlehem where she spent the night in a barn and had a baby who just, oh yeah, happens to be the son of God? How absurd is that? Point taken, right? Well, as we've been kind of exploring all the, this Christianity stuff, you know, it does, it does get a little crazy 
when you really break it down and you think about it. So I thought maybe I'd just hit a few of the highlights for you this morning. All right? So it begins with, in the beginning, God created the universe and everything in it in just six days. And then it must have been exhausting because on the seventh day, he rests. Right? And then God was just somehow always God. He's just always been there. Then we have Noah and the ark. We have Moses parting the Red Sea. Mixed in with that is a smattering of talking donkeys, snakes, and bushes. Full-grown men being swept up into heaven in a fiery chariot. And of course, a prophet who is swallowed by a whale. And this, my friends, is just the Old Testament. We're just getting started. You transition into the New Testament where we have the virgin birth. We have water being turned into wine, which is a party I would have loved to have been at. (laughs) Demons possessing people and pigs. Not to mention 5,000 people being fed out of some kid's lunch bag. How crazy is that? Which brings us to the most difficult concept to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on a cross for your sin, for my sin. And after he was dead, they placed his body in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it. They put a guard at the front of the tomb. But on the third day, he rises from the dead. And when you put all that together, I mean, it does, you have to admit, sound a little sci-fi thriller-ish, doesn't it? I mean, when you kind of reduce it down to those things, you have to admit, you have a few doubts, don't you? I mean, I get it. Even the people who were closest to Jesus had a hard time believing it. In the passage that I just read in the Gospel of Luke, It was just after sunrise on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the tomb to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial, which I am sure was a task that they were dreading. But as they get to the tomb, they see that the stone has been rolled away and the body of Jesus is gone. And they have no idea what happened. It never even occurs to them that Jesus rose from the dead. They just assume that somebody has stolen the body until a couple of angels show up and appear to them and say, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. I'm imagining that these women had kind of a blank look on their face because the angel is trying to now stir their memory. And he goes, don't you remember Like, Jesus told you that he would have to be crucified, but that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Is any of this ringing a bell for you? And in verse 8, they have this aha moment where it says, oh, and they suddenly remembered his words. No joke. The angel's feeding you your lines. These were two women who were closer to Jesus than anybody else on this earth, and they still had no clue. 
It is not until an angel appears to them that they suddenly realize, oh yeah, Jesus did say something like that, but we really didn't take him seriously, right? I mean, come on. You want me to believe that somebody could actually rise from the dead? Well, once they put it all together and they get it, they want to go share the good news. And so immediately they run and tell the other disciples. But as the two Marys are telling the story of all that they'd seen and heard about the angels and the fact that Jesus is risen, the Bible says that none, not even one of the disciples, believed what they were telling them. Not one. It seems like Jesus' own disciples were having a hard time believing it as well. In fact, it takes it one step further, and it says that they thought that it seemed like a bunch of nonsense to them. It isn't until Jesus appears to the disciples in the flesh that everything suddenly comes together for them, and they finally get it. They finally believe. And even then, one of the disciples named Thomas still doesn't believe it, with Jesus standing right in front of him. And he takes it to a whole other level, and he says, until I can actually touch the nail print in his hands, until I can touch the, the place in his side where the sword pierced him, I will not believe. And when he does, he suddenly realizes, oh man, it's true. It really is Jesus. Look, I'm not being critical. Nobody can predict how we would respond in that moment either. It really is all just so hard to believe, isn't it? But why can't an angel appear to me? Better yet, why can't Jesus come and stand in front of me so that I can touch his hands and the hole in his side? Then I'd believe too, wouldn't you? I think that Jesus sums it up best when after all of this unbelief, he suddenly stops and he says this. You believe because you have seen me. But blessed is the one who has not seen me and yet still believes. (laughs) I think he's talking about you. What Jesus is referring to there is a little something we call faith. And the Bible asks that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. By God's design, certainly not mine. We are to believe in that which we cannot prove, rather than trying to prove something that is based on that which we can see or that we can reproduce in a lab somewhere. Take a good hard look inside of your heart and ask yourself, what do I really believe about this story that begins with the beginning of God creating the world and then it comes to a point where he actually has to send his son into the world to die on a cross to save it? What kind of plan is that? Does it all sound like nonsense to you? There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it says this. The message of the cross is foolishness for people who are stumbling toward ruin. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it is the very power of God. 
This is why the scripture says, I will put an end to the wisdom of the so-called wise, and I will invalidate the insight of your so-called experts. So now, where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the skilled debater, the best of your world? Hasn't God made fools out of those who count on the wisdom of this broken world? For through its wisdom, the world rejected God. But God took immense pleasure in saving his people of faith through the foolishness of the message of the cross that is preached. I love that passage. Because faith, by so many people's standards, is considered to be foolish. It's as if the intellectuals of the world have all gotten together and they've figured it out. And they have now, they have the secret to the meaning of life and now it's all so scientific and intellectual and it's way beyond anything that we can understand. Look, you can believe whatever you want to believe. That is your right. But don't think for one minute that my faith in Jesus is somehow weaker than somebody else's belief that they think is somehow more intellectually superior than my faith. When you look at all of the world of the possibilities that we've been looking at over the last month, the world religions and worldviews and the world of atheism and agnosticism, I don't care what you're buying into. It takes a whole lot of faith to figure out what in the world happened here. Why in the world are we even sitting here? You have to have just as much faith to believe that somehow the world accidentally banged itself into existence and miraculously everything came out perfect as you do that God created it all. You have to have just as much faith that Jesus was nothing more than a historical figure who was a good person, a good teacher that once lived as you do that he really actually was the Son of God. You have to have just as much faith that Jesus really didn't raise from the dead as you do that he did. Make no mistake about it. The idea of following Jesus is absolutely foolish to those who don't get it. But to those of us who believe, it's the power of God. It's what gives us strength. It's what gives us hope. Many of us have gone through a faith crisis at some point or another in our lives, and maybe you're in the middle of one this morning. But I just want you to know that that is a normal part of the human experience. In fact, I would go as far as to say that if we don't question some things about the Christian faith, that I'm not sure that we've ever really truly grappled with the true essence of our faith. Because there's some difficult stuff. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Nor is it the enemy of faith. Doubt and faith can coexist. It's what we do with that doubt that matters because doubt can actually strengthen your faith. 
Because just when it seems like my doubt has overtaken me, all of a sudden, I read something really crazy about a woodpecker. Did you know that in a woodpecker, there is a sponge-like pad to go between the woodpecker's little bill and his little brain so that when he pecks a hole in a tree, he doesn't knock himself unconscious? (laughs) Who thinks of that? Like a little shock absorber for a woodpecker's brain. We have a God who cares enough to cover every little detail of this world. And if he cares that much about the safety of a woodpecker, how much more does he care about the stuff that you're dealing with in your life? Take a good hard look inside of your heart and ask yourself, what do I really believe about this foolishness called Christianity? And begin to build a faith that is yours. It's not your parents' faith. It's not a faith that you're building because your wife wants you to or your husband wants you to or it's for your kids. It's a faith that you're building with your own two hands because you want to. You want to figure it out. You want to live for something that has meaning and purpose. And it's a faith that you build that's real. It's authentic. We can build a faith that may seem foolish to some, but the truth is it's actually wiser than anything that I can read in some textbook. While if I'm going to be honest about it, there are times when I am embarrassed to call myself a Christian because of all the stupid stuff that gets done in the name of the Christian identity. But I am never, ever embarrassed to call myself a follower of Jesus. When I cut through the fog of all my doubt and I get down to it, Jesus is the only thing that I have found that's real. Everything he said, when you read his words, everything that you did, everything that he did, it rings true for me in my heart. And I have to say, I believe. I believe. We may have our doubts from time to time, but our faith, our faith is what makes us who we are. It cuts through the gray of this world and gives my life color. It's faith that gives definition to our lives. It shapes the decisions that we make and the words that we speak. It convicts our heart and it impacts the way that we treat other people. It's faith that helps us to hold on in those dark nights when we are plunged into the depths of despair and it feels like we can't go on. And it's faith that helps us to know that God is at my side. It is a faith that is real and it's based on truth. A truth that is so ridiculous that the God of the universe could love a messed up guy like me so much that he would send his only son in the world to die on a cross for my sin. What kind of foolishness is that? 
But you know something? I believe in that foolishness. I'm telling you, it is crazier and more seemingly foolish for me or you or anybody else to say it. But if I'm honest, I'm telling you, I believe. I believe that in the beginning, God. I believe that Jesus really is the Son of God who came to earth and lived among us as one of us. I believe that he lived a perfect life until he was killed on a cross for my sin. I believe that he was buried in a tomb and a stone was rolled into place and a soldier stood guard to make sure that he didn't get out. And I believe, I believe that he did. Because I believe that on the third day, he rose from the dead. So that now, I would have nothing to fear. I've made my choice. And I am putting my life, I am trusting with my life, and putting it into the hands of Jesus, who conquered death. I believe. I believe. I believe. But God, please, help my unbelief. <laughs>